The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hey, very warm welcome to Squawk Box. A very busy day, lots of corporate earnings, lots of CEOs on the show, so let's crack on, shall we? These are your headlines. China tips back into consumer price deflation whilst prices at the factory gate fall for the 13th straight month. And that's underlining the fragility of the country's recovery. Disney beats on the bottom line and expands its cost-cutting drive by a further $2 billion while streaming subscribers now top 150 million. This, as the CEO Bob Iger says, the company is moving from an era of fixing to an era of building. We do expect subscriber growth to continue, but we're mostly focused now on delivering profitability by the end of fiscal 24. We had a great quarter, as you just noted, adding 7 million core Disney Plus subs. That was really the result of great content. Arm shares lose their grip, sinking almost 7% in extended trade. After the chip designer posts a weaker-than-expected revenue outlook in its first set of results post-IPO. Airbus reports nine-month revenue of over 42 billion euros and raises its A350 production target, despite the CEO of the French plane maker warning supply chain issues will remain challenging. Geopolitics, abortion rights and the absence of Donald Trump take center stage as the GOP's third presidential primary debate, while Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy trade barbs on foreign policy. I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. They would love to the see The fact that. of the matter is she doesn't answer So this the is what I will tell SoftBank numbers are just rolling across the tape and the question is whether you want the good news or the, the bad news first. I'll give you some good news and uh, there, there's not much of it. 3.23 trillion in sales. That is up 1.4% on the prior year when uh, it was a 3.18 trillion yen number. But uh, we can probably sort of end the good news there. The net loss, 1.41 trillion yen. I'll just repeat that. That's 1.41 trillion yen for the six-month period versus a loss of 129-odd billion at the same time a year ago. So really ramping up in terms of those losses. On the pre-tax line, this is 907.43 billion versus a profit of 292.6 prior year. So huge swing in fortunes here. The Vision Fund unit booked investment gains of 21.36 billion yen in July to September versus 160 billion yen gain in the April to June period. So there's not much in the way of uh, positive numbers here. Um, in terms of what we're seeing uh, on the um, news flow in the last 24 hours, I think was very interesting. We we're all following the developments around the WeWork bankruptcy. And what materialised was that SoftBank was forced to wire $1.5 billion to Goldman Sachs and other lenders just prior to that filing for bankruptcy. This uh, was around a letter of credit that SoftBank had uh, given for WeWork to secure a debt back in December 2019. So I think the flow of news has been very negative coming up to the numbers today. 
And of course, we know that startup world has been very challenging given the, the tighter credit costs. But the numbers today suggesting that it has also been very difficult for the company that owns a whole heap of these portfolio uh, companies. Yeah, look, um, straight away when you go on the soft, uh, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, very well. Lovely to see you. We have a stunningly busy day. Uh, SoftBank Vision Fund, when you go on there straight away, straight away at the top of it, you say meet the global AI innovators working to transform industries and shape new ones. Now, straight away, what does that say to you? It says, okay, great. SoftBank is fully invested and fully excited and looking forward to investing in more AI companies uh, as we go forward because AI is the, the hot new topic. Now, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing, given the fact that valuations are so exacerbated at the moment? We know that AI is going to be a huge part of most, if not all, companies' future going forward. But having said that, there is a lot of scepticism uh, about whether it's the picks and shovels, the people who create the ability to conduct AI operations in your company, or actually it's the companies who are using AI tools that actually should be the ones we're buying. And of course, the answer is a hybrid of the both. And the other answer, part B, is at the right price. And my only worry about SoftBank Vision Fund is history. The fact is, they've had some stunning winners, but they've also had a vast amount of howlers as well. You just mentioned one with WeWork as well. So what I want to hear Adam from Masayoshi... Adam was Mas a big one. It wasn't a little howler, was it, let's face it? Billions and billions and billions. Yeah. Uh, and what I really want to know from Masayoshi-san is, is how the strategy is honed now, rather than the scattergun that we saw over the last 20 years. Is it a very different soft bank now? Is it a very different vision fund? Is the strategy becoming... Because there's no doubt about it, there are visionary elements to Masayoshi-san's activities over the last 20 years. But but there's also a buy everything approach as yes. well, which, to be honest, I think investors, as we saw with listed companies, are getting a lot more discerning well, about. Well, there was a view that was, the company was scrambling to get back into the AI game, that all the bets that it really had were not typically AI bets. So there were technology companies with an element of AI. And most of us know if you're a technology company, you're leaning into all of the trends. And one of the mega trends is AI. So if you're not looking at AI as a tech company, there's almost something wrong with you, or it is just a, an absolute jarring fit, so you don't do it. One other point here is that it's going to be the company evolved for a long time. I mean, if you look at the numbers and how lumpy they are, it's because of sales of very big investments that they've had. Alibaba, of course, has skewed the numbers, which is why you've seen a drop in the, the latest results today, because there's that fade effect from the gains realised on the Alibaba sale. But of course, there's been an ARM feature too, and that's been one of the big questions. What happens to the rest of the ARM stake that the company has? So it's almost like the Alibaba feature. You'll see gains in, in some of the results upcoming, and you'll see a drop off because of the comparison on, on the prior quarter or, or six month period. But, but and I agree, all of the above, but, but it doesn't answer the question, what do you do as, okay, let's say I, I am an investor. There you go. I, I suppose I am in some ways. And I have missed completely the boat in AI, which I think there's a lot of us out there. Um, and what do you do now? Let's pick the bellwether name, for instance, which is NVIDIA. Can we get an NVIDIA chart up? I don't know if we can do that as well. Let me just go through some of the parameters of NVIDIA, which we know is at the core of the picks and shovels, of the GPUs, the graphic processing units as well, which are needed to power AI as well. This isn't an editorial comment. This is what it is. It's a stock that has rallied over the last year by 219%. Thank you, team, for putting that on the board. It is a stock that was trading at $141 in December 2022. It is now trading at $465. So you have rallied stunningly as well on this stock as well. Now, let's go through some of the financial parameters of the stock you are buying now. This trades at 29 times forward. 
again, that's a premium, but it doesn't sound as bad as some of the tech names out there as well. Um, but then we go into a bit more detail and we look at the EV to sales, which trades at over 14 times compared with an industry median of 3.4 times. Again, a huge premium. It's got a price to book of 17.7 compared with an industry median of three. Now, all of that is fine. And, and that's not a problem, a bar to investing, if you believe the growth is still going to be there. And if you believe a secondary, that the competitive advantage that NVIDIA has will remain silent. They will remain with a moat around their activities as well. But how can we believe in the latter when so many other companies that you and I speak to and CNBC speaks to more generally are trying to replicate what NVIDIA is doing as well? Of course, they have a Tesla-like first-person advantage, but how long is that moat going to be in place? And that raises questions about those valuations. A lot of me disagrees with the idea that we've missed the AI boat. I, I didn't I, say I, we've missed the AI boat. I said the pricing the is very difficult to enjoy at this level if you're a fresh investor. Right. I, I think there are going to be fresh opportunities. I think what you've seen as investors racing into all of the AI opportunities that they know at this stage, mm. I think there are plenty more that are going to be materialising over time. I mean, it's such an early part of the cycle and it's such disruptive technology. I think you'll see new companies created that will disrupt and, and that will be the first mover advantage for investors from here. Masayoshi-san is actually in talks with um, OpenAI and also one of the former designers of Apple to try and come up with a consumer device that maximizes AI. These reports crossed about a month ago. So can they come up with something? And don't forget, we've seen the iPhones um, disrupt the marketplace. We saw that the Nokia Ericsson effect over the years in the smartphone market. I think mobile phones very much have been on on an interesting pathway but, that's changed thanks to the technology. Well, I, I Could will, AI change the technology for the, the smartphone, the device that we know today? Well, let me do, th let me do this. Let me come back at you and, and in the loveliest way possible have our usual uh, husband-wife argument on air as well. You mentioned mobile phones. Karen, you were a great champion of 5G technology as well. And time after time now, we have, and we had another guest on yesterday, who are telling us still about the benefits of 5G, despite the fact that there is a massive failure out there to monetize it you from the likes of price. Nokia, from the likes of Ericsson, from the likes of a lot Discreet. of the big players out there. It's in the, the monetization numbers. of 5G has failed to materialize dramatically over the last five years. It's Karen. in the enterprise numbers, though. If you look at uh, the, the Nokia numbers, it's, it's very much in that enterprise division when you talk about the profitability. By, by and large, if you look at the overall business, I think that's where you're seeing some difficulty monetizing at the but, consumer level. But surely, level. if a business, uh, but then I'll, I'll, I'll come back at you again. Uh, in a lovely, rumbustious way as well. That, that if Nokia, whose shares are down 25% this year, can't prove its worth on the key technology that we were told about time and time again, what worth is it investing in that oh, rather than sticking there, to your knitting? There are other parts of the business. I think the problem is they're not firing on all cylinders. So you are seeing in one element the of the business. The other parts of the business, when you've taken on a vast investment, the bulk of the investment is bulking up their 5G operations for many of these companies as well. And they have failed to monetize that for the shareholders. I think it's coming through, as I say, in elements of the business. It's just that it's a very large business. You've got a large legacy business. And those large investments take time to, to catch hold. Wow. And it may not, by and large, in some areas of the business, do anything much. But uh, and when it comes to enterprise, I think we are seeing so, that. So That's the conversation on business, who, where the profits are coming uh, from. And, and you use Nokia. Then who has monetized it then? Who has shown that actually, if they haven't got those legacy businesses that you mentioned that Nokia have, who has done that? And okay. show me the stock that's up 
50 percent 60 percent 100 percent on the back of their 5g exposure such a difficult journey if you look at the ericsson numbers right you had a very strong adoption in the north american market that was good for the numbers that's faded though so the comparables are very difficult now it's swapped across to the indian market so you're getting the 5g boost in that market but the problem is you're not getting the 5g gains in lockstep so it's not an easy journey. I think you wanted to be a win, and you see a stock price no, no, movement no, that is dramatic, want, no, but but, it, but it's want. not coming through in the, in the what, way we what, think what it's going to come through. What I want is the promise from the people who come in and sell the latest great thing. Arguably, one might say snake oil, but that's me being contentious. The latest thing. I want the people who sell that to our viewers via us, because we are the guardians of the people selling their product, whether it be investment bankers, whether it be politicians, whether it be people selling 5G. I want them to come up with the goods. And I'll, I'll take another way. I mentioned picks and shovels with Nokia. I'll go like an operator as well. And the operators are so invested in 5G. I'll pick Vodafone. It's just one because I could pick any telecom name you like as well. Mm. It was 155 pence in 2018. So surely in the last five years, exactly five years ago, it was 155 pence. It is now trading exactly to the penny half of that it is 77 and a half p as well show me which operator picks and shovels company a small nimble player at the sidelines who have monetized this and demonstrated for our viewers a shareholder return. Well, perhaps it's the cautionary tale, isn't it? Because you saw the initial 5G movement in these stocks that the marketplace thought it was worth investing. And then, of course, it's been somewhat torturous to see the results straight away. So is really? it the AI story you, like that? And do you, you know get the that, irony? The bounce on the, on the back of the big investment, bounce on the back of the hype, and then it becomes a little bit more difficult from there. Do you know the irony? You and I weren't even going to do this conversation. Okay. <laughs> we, we were due for a China chat. We right. lost the guest. So they said, well, just talk about stuff. So... There you go, that's Scorebox in a nutshell. We do have a busy day today, <laughs> and it's the markets I want to take you back to because, again, a very unexpected rally has been taking place. So we've seen it across on these US markets. Investors are questioned whether it's a genuine rally or whether it would fade, but it still goes on. And we've seen across on the S&P 500, the winning streak now, eighth positive session is what we've had. And uh, it is the longest winning streak in two years for the broad mix of stocks on the S&P 500 index, up a tenth of a percent. Again, very slim gain that we're now seeing on the boards as uh, this rally continues. And if you look at the NASDAQ, for instance, we've seen another continuation, ninth positive session in a row, perched high for the trading week to the tune of about 1.3% and uh, very much out in front in terms of the gains. The Dow fading in session. If you look at uh, some of the moves to the downside, Chevron, the oil story just not rallying this week, uh, somewhat of a fade on the oil price, and that's impacted the energy stocks down by about a tenth of a percent. To what we're seeing on Treasuries, and this has been dramatic, it's been one of the catalysts for the market, uh, for the equity markets to rally. 4.50 is what we're now seeing on that 10-year. We're perched above 4.6, so we've very much glided off the near 5% level we've had in recent weeks. As investors have looked at that refunding process by Treasury, they've weighed up some of the data and the language from the Fed, and the viewers that look, we are talking about uh, rates for the long term that are going to be coming down. 4.93 on the two-year is what we've got. Uh, that level also coming off the 5% handle. So uh, the decline on yields having an impact on the dollar index, on the, the main pairs and crosses. This morning, though, a little bit of give back. Sterling euro just on the back foot by a fraction. 122.77 on sterling, 107 the handle. We're just holding on euro. Dollar firmer versus the Japanese yen. And by some way, 151, the level. Yuan, 728 
To what we're seeing on oil and uh, commodities, uh, Brent WTI starting to march higher again this morning after a drop. You can see the levels are both off 80, aren't they? Both are below the $80 handle. And of course, gold, it uh, is fairly flat, uh, just hovering around 1950. To the Asian markets in session, uh, patch of red around Hong Kong, still some caution around the property market, but gains for that Japanese stock market and the opening calls in Europe. But this is how we're setting up for the trading session. We are looking a little bit mixed up, a bit of green, a bit of red on everything, somewhat flat on some of these markets versus uh, 20 down on the FTSE for the UK, Steve. Yeah, it's really noticeable, isn't it? The, the, the difficulty that the European markets have to find some form of momentum compared with the US as well. I saw a great piece out from one of the US investment banks yesterday that talked about, about 34 weeks of negative flows on European equities. And of course, that certainly isn't the case in the United States. It's been a much more volatile picture. But Well, a couple of points here. I think it's the earnings is having very much a dramatic impact on the trade around some of the big European stocks. We've seen it every other day on the open. I mean, the last couple of weeks has been fairly large swings. So I think earnings very much in the driving seat. But then the rate story, I mean, the 4.5 now uh, on that 10-year, the market was so nervous when we kept on climbing and thought yeah. we would go through 5% at one point. That's given the market so much cover in the US. Couldn't agree more. Should we do another argument here or should we let Adam be, breathe again, the mm. director, and move on as we're supposed to? Let's do that. Uh, China slipped back into deflation. There you go, Adam. Uh, slipped back into deflation in October, <coughs> highlighting the country's struggle to shore up growth through domestic demand. Consumer prices fell 0.2% from a year earlier compared to a flat reading in September. Factory gate inflation also extended declines, dropping 2.6% on the year for its 13th consecutive monthly contraction. We should lose guests more often. We have more to chat about. Uh, for more on China's deflationary environment and what it means for Beijing, head over to CNBC.com. Arabile, good morning to you, sir. Certainly have had a robust morning, it seems. Well, coming up on the show, nonetheless, Disney chief Bob Iger says the firm is rolling up its sleeves as it faces further pressure from activist investor, that's Nelson Peltz, will go through the company's fourth quarter report. It's coming up next. Also ahead, Airbus getting ready for takeoff, issuing a bullish call on jet output in its nine-month earnings release. And we'll hear from the Zurich insurance chief, Mario Greco, as the firm says it will supplement its dividend with further share buybacks. But don't miss that conversation. It's the first on CNBC later this hour. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. The SAG-AFTRA actors strike came to an end at 6 CET this morning after negotiators reached a tentative deal on a three-year contract after almost 120 days of industrial action. In a statement, the actors' union said the deal, valued at more than a billion dollars, would enable members from every category to build sustainable careers in the industry, but said it won't release full details until they're reviewed by its board. Disney shares jumped in extended trade after fourth quarter profit beat expectations, although revenue came up short. 
The House of Mouse also announced a further $2 billion in cost cuts amid continued pressure from activist investor Nelson Peltz. Arabile is uh, looking at the numbers for us. Arabile, they've certainly got the activists breathing down their necks. So how do the numbers look? Yeah, so Karen, let's go through just some of those numbers then as well. Earnings per share rising to 82 cents for the quarter versus 70 cents expected. But the firm missed slightly on top line estimates with just over $21 billion in revenue. Now, the CEO, Bob Iger, said Disney will focus on its building blocks going forward, streaming, theme parks, studios and its ESPN sports division. The company announced a further $2 billion worth of cost cuts, putting it on track then for a $7.5 billion in total of savings by the end of the fiscal year. Very important to note as well then that uh, the actor strike did help reduce some of those short-term production costs. Disney said it is making progress as well in terms of making its Disney Plus streaming service profitable. It's still a loss leader, but the firm stuck to its view that it won't be by the end of next year. Total subscribers now coming in at more than 150 million for the quarter, beating expectations and even rising 7 million in the period. Iger went through the company's ad strategy in an exclusive conversation with CNBC. We believe that the advertiser-supported streaming services, not just in the U.S., but in other markets, notably in EMEA, will be important uh, growth initiatives uh, for, for the company. In fact, in Disney Plus, we, we just implemented some really robust advertiser targeting tools that are already working and will help us obviously grow advertising. Uh, by the way, speaking of advertising, addressable advertising is very strong. And since you raised it, so is sports, by the way. I would say in linear, it's actually a little bit better than it had been. Overall, we've seen some improvement in general in advertising. It doesn't mean we don't have more improvement ahead. We actually believe we do. But for instance, technology sector has been a bit soft. But advertising looms large for us. And the combination of Hulu and Disney Plus advertiser supported is a great opportunity for us to grow the advertiser supported side of our streaming business. And now, Iger did say part of the strategy is a shift to quality over quantity as reviews and box office figures from the firm's Marvel movies continued to disappoint. Its latest film, The Marvels, received some of the franchise's worst ever reviews. But on the analyst call, Iger said the firm is rolling up its sleeves to begin building that business again. Steve. Uh, excellent. Um, look, in, in terms of these companies, and look, we are a media company, we are Comcast, we are NBC, CNBC, Sky, MSN, etc., etc. I might have just gone through three of our franchises. Um, it's tough out there. Let's be brutally honest about it. I'm not sure the bosses at Comcast want me to say this, but advertising revenues are tough across the board. There are still concerns about traditional cord cutting as well. There are concerns about streaming offerings and the investment going into that as well. When you add in that fact you've got theme parks and, and such a huge production studio, you know, the Marvels and Star Wars and what have it as well, let's, let's be honest about it, being checkered on the performance of those two franchises as of late, it gets a much more complicated picture as well. And we can go back to the original point that has led to such oscillations over at Netflix, which of course is perhaps the streaming player that everyone's looking at for as a benchmark as well. It remains very tough. And, and I'll just say that in, in relation to the fact that there are five to ten solid large streaming offerings out there and with the consumer beginning to be challenged people are thinking about which ones to cut. I think Iger's in a very interesting uh, position. He was part of the uh, moves to build up what is a huge conglomerate now 
parks, with TV, and of course streaming at it in recent years. If he decides to dismantle that, it's almost like creating this legacy, then taking it down and later on in your career. So it'd almost a, a U-turn on everything he's done to date. And I think that's what he's, uh, he's contemplating at this point. What does he do with the linear assets? Does he sell them? And, um, you know, these are profitable assets, but the cord cutting has put a question mark over the future of some of these assets. So to me, it's fascinating to watch whether he does keep ABC, Disney Channel, FX, National Geographic, or whether that is bundled up into a sale. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the share price performance as well, I mean, it's been a very, very tough year as well. Net-net down 2.7% over the year to date. But actually, if you look at the peak of the shares of around about $109 per share, that was on the 1st of February. They're now trading significantly lower uh, to 84.50 in session. Of course, uh, they did have uh, that move after the closing bell. So very interesting. I'll just give you an update on the pricing of this one. Trades at 18 times. And just a quick one, too, on the subscribers. Um, a terrific ad, right? They're trying to be yeah. profitable soon. But uh, 7 million core Disney Plus subscribers added. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, the new releases, The Little Mermaid did some heavy lifting, I gather, uh, in terms good. of attracting audiences. Yeah, I know Little Mermaid had some <clears throat> some people out there criticising it for, for all the wrong reasons as well. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's done well. The only thing I will say is, I, I, I have Disney subscription, I have Apple subscription, I have Sky subscription, I have the lot. I would love to cut some of them. Will my family let me? Well, I mean, exactly. Disney's the one you sort of want to cut, right? But I don't know. I'll cut. I don't want to change There's a few pushing back in the maybe. household. Anyway, staying in the sector, Warner Brothers Discovery closed down 19% after posting a 12% decline in advertising revenue in the third quarter. Oh, and a wider than expected loss. Net loss of $417 million was better than the $2.3 billion loss a year ago, but still fell short of expectations. CEO David uh, Zaslav. Uh, said the media sector is going through a quote, and I think we just said this, generational disruption. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.